Welcome to this episode of Print Run. My name is Eric Hain, and with me as always is Laura Zatz. Say hello, Laura. Hello, everyone. Today is December 18th. It is our last show before the new year. Yeah, um, we're taking we're... a good two weeks off. <laughs> which we'll be talking about here in a second. But before we get into the many little bits of reflection and observation and prediction that we're going to do today... Um, to end the really just a great year for everyone, 2017. Um, <laughs> we figure let's give them the rundown first. Huh? Yeah, so it's uh, we still have two special episodes this month. Mm-hmm. We've got first pages coming this week, and then next week we're doing something very special. In place of writing by reading, we are doing a special critique episode where we are critiquing Twitter pitch submissions. Mm. So from yeah. PitMad, DVPit, all of the other like Twitter pitch places, um, we have been sent Twitter, you know, tweets. Yeah. Tweets is what they are called. Uh-huh. People uh, were by... emailing us tweets. Do I have that correctly? <laughs> you asked that. I don't understand why they didn't just DM them to us, but you know what? I couldn't have handled that. That would have been too much. Really. <laughs> um, yeah. So they emailed us their tweets and we are going to rip them to shreds from now on too instead of just replying to laura when you see her tweets feel free to just type your response (laughs) maybe print it out send it to her in written form and that'll be the best way to at her in the future it will also go a really long way into supporting the united states postal system yeah well that's that's what we're here for it is very important i'm pretty sure the only thing keeping it alive already is like junk mail and wedding invitations (laughs) So this will help. What's the difference? <laughs> okay. Um, so look for our special Twitter critique session that's going to be available to the ten or no the eight dollar a month Patreon subscribers, yeah. which brings us to my <laughs> next point. Um, if you, <laughs> I'm already laughing at them. I'm laughing at them. If you listened to our regular episode last week, you knew that uh, Patreon had decided to up the charges for the the patrons. Yeah. on their site, which we thought was bullshit. Mm-hmm. And so we lowered our prices from $10 to 8 and from $5 to 3 for the first pages and writing by reading show and the career show, respectively. Well, 24 hours after this episode went live, mm-hmm. Patreon said, whoops, just kidding, we're not doing that. Um, I believe their email said something really breathy like, we hear you creators we hear you like if you're like a, being a lousy we partner or something and you like haven't like cleaned the kitchen in like three weeks yep yeah yep i had that conversation this weekend <laughs> um <laughs> we hear you yep so anyway they heard us but they mm-hmm. heard us 24 hours too late so uh-huh. i'm taking um this reduction in our prices to mean um that we're magic yeah so, oh, yeah, no, I'm not a scientist, but I'm pretty sure this is how cause and effect works. <laughs> um, I think that we are the reason they decided to go against this. They saw they saw our powerful press release, they you did. know, as we were like quickly figuring out how to like make a press release just so we could have something to tweet out. Like we we're like, it's like oh, quick, sh- we need we need he- we need uh, we need, yeah. I'm like we in need the headers. Same, I'm in the same program. I'm like making horrible Christmas memes on like. <laughs> 
figuring out how to stick our logo in the middle. Yeah, no, that was good. Um, anyway. So the force of our publicity statement um, definitely brought down the man here. Um, that's great. Good so. news for you is that you're not actually going to be charged more. But oh, yeah, for no. the next three months, so for the first quarter of 2018, mm-hmm. we are going to keep this pricing structure as yeah. is. So good for you guys. And if you are not a patri- patron, now is the time to get in on it because you will get access to our entire back catalog of special episodes for just eight dollars, you month. went in and you went in and coded all those. I did. As... <laughs> I had I recoded all of them by hand, so everyone had access uh, to them. Brutal. You know what? Man. It's for our it's fans. For, it's for the people. It's for the people. It's for just the people. Just like Print Run is for the people. Exactly. Yeah. It's for the people. So I'm just like <sighs> hoping that like mm-hmm. maybe you and I can lower it from like eight dollars to seven dollars and then all of a sudden i'll get like a six-figure deal at auction or something because clearly that's that's how that works right tell your friends we're cheaper now you know (laughs) so sign up it's really fun to listen to us more times than once per week yeah um what else what else we got um Ooh, ooh. Mm-hmm. So some of you might know that we're in Minnesota. Yes. We just got more relevant. We did? We did. Excellent. We did. Um, the Loft Literary Center, which is, um, I guess, one of one of the preeminent literary centers in the nation. They're pretty good. They're pretty. I mean, we teach there, yeah. so they can't be like the best. Yeah. Um, yeah, they but- let us in. <laughs> <laughs> they, they are having a... Writers Festival that they're launching that's going to be May 11th and 12th in 2019, and it's called Wordplay, and it's being described as, quote, a book party in the heart of Minneapolis. Well, so this is, um, I saw this, and just to give credit where credit is due, the founder is a woman named Steph Opitz, um, and yeah, no, I mean, she she's kind of written this thing in LitHub. We, I think we sent it out at one point on Twitter, but um Mostly, it just kind of reflects a lot of enthusiasm around the area. Um, it says that Minneapolis is a literary scene that is not only notable and relevant, as you say, but growing, um, which I think obviously is great being here and trying to be a part of it. Um, I also think a crucial factor to consider here is that we better get invited. Yep. Um, I would very much like to be a part of this festival. Please. It's not a book party unless we <laughs> unless Print Run is there. Please let us come. To the festival, we're really fun. We don't eat too many snacks. That's a lie. Yeah, that is a lie. Um, we're going to eat a lot of snacks. We'll bring our own snacks. <laughs> it's like a little bag of Chex Mix. Yeah, our own little cheese the... plate. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, we should have. We should set up. Actually, let's just do that anyway. Let's just set up <laughs> a a desk. Where was the last event we joked about doing this? Was it BEA? I don't know. Or somewhere Probably. Where we were like, we should just go and bring our stuff and just like sit in the hall, like right where there's like the most through traffic, like right in front of like the the Hachette booth or something. Yeah. And just like stick our table and like our cords running everywhere. And <laughs> um, now we'll have a cheese plate. So more people will want to stop yep. and talk to us as we're like describing a James Patterson book of the week in the yep. middle of some major thoroughfare. Probably outside. some good brie, yeah. dill havarti, yeah. Yeah. you know, maybe some charcuterie if we're feeling fancy. We are. We are feeling fancy, yeah. which is another reason you should have us at the festival. Um, anyway, we're gonna start the two year long campaign to be a part we, of that. Have we have we started adding um atting? Have we started <laughs> harassing on Twitter uh the 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 creators of this lit festival the same way that we at Stephen King? You know, I, I have avoided that. 
um, it felt unprofessional to start taking my cartoon bird avatar. Oh, in. yeah. Wait till the first of the year. That's yeah. much more professional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Um, but anyway, we were excited to hear this, that there's a new, new festival. It's Obviously, there's not too much information yet. But maybe maybe if we drop our Patreon prices more, we will be the key feature at Wordplay, the yeah. new literary festival. Yeah. That's what we should use our magic for. Yeah. I'm looking at the comps she has here on this on this article. She wrote like a, um, I don't know what it is, kind of just a quick little essay on founding it. And... She comps it to Brooklyn Book Fest, uh, the Texas Book Festival, kind of the smaller ones like that, which I think were really great. Like, I don't know if you've ever been to Brooklyn Book Fest, but it's fun. They usually get, like, um, I don't know, some pretty cool authors to come speak. It's outside. It's got, you know, other, you know, non um, – it's open to the public, too. Wait, you know, hold it's on. Like, it's outside? Yeah. Print run burns like as a collective unit. Yeah, no, we I'm don't do get, well outside. So that'll be another, especially when this is in May. Yeah, I'm gonna need to get real lathered up. <laughs> um, it's gonna be. I mean, you know, I guess it is what it is. But I guess it's Minnesota, so there's a lot of pale people here already. Yeah. Um, but so maybe they'll maybe they'll put it in like a. I guess maybe the loft will just host it. I don't know. Yeah. But hopefully, maybe if it's inside, that'd be even better. Yeah. Um, then I wouldn't burn. But that's good. We'll I'm carry a parasol. We'll get a parasol with the print run logo on it. Yeah. That'll be nice. Anyway, big Minnesota book news. Um, watch out for us. Watch out for us, folks. Uh, move here. We're fun. So one one last quick thing <clears throat> that I just I felt like we needed to mention. Mm-hmm. Um, so last week we talked about the short story Cat Person. Yeah. Um, which was by an author named Kristen Rupinian mm-hmm. um, that was published in the New-, New Yorker and it went crazy. And we talked about this as being kind of like the first of the new short stories. Sure. Well, Rupinian just got over a million dollars in book deals. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that was predictable. Yep. Um, so what do you think about that deal? I mean, I, I don't know much about it, but how about just let me pose the question to you this way. What's your immediate response to such a fast book deal for based on what I you know, I mean, obviously this is this is happening, I think, at least in some correlation to the fact that her story just went nuts on the internet, you know? I hope okay, so so here's the thing. I really liked the story. I think that it was the right time to sell a short story collection by uh-huh. this author. Like as her agent, I would be like, Yes, let's do it. Um I'm honestly a little worried that nobody's read the book. Yeah, oh, like the collection. She, it's a collection, right? Yeah, but, it's yeah. a collection of short, yeah. and she's not done with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's there is so it sold simultaneously to a UK publisher, um, and there is an auction underway right now for North American rights. Mm-hmm. Um, Eleven publishing companies are bidding. Okay, so but. Um, Jonathan Cape, the UK publisher, uh, bought it. Um, and Michael Shavitt at Cape said, and this is a direct quote, I was submitted the collection on Tuesday. By Wednesday, I had bought the book. <laughs> and that, like, I'm excited and that's wonderful. But, like, I'm worried he didn't read it. That assistant like, did not get overtime pay. No. Let's start there. Yeah. That's who read the book is the assistant. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just like the rest of um, Shabbat's <clears throat> statement is all about like 
no, she's really writing about all of these things, and I've definitely read it. <laughs> it's like, like one of those bad book reports. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's um. just like it's it's like he's talking about like the themes and the stories and what it's about, and I'm like, man, I'm not sure if you read this, but like, okay. Uh, yeah, it's just like reading the little jacket copy of each thing. Yeah. Um, and and in conclusion, the work is a land of contrasts. Um, one thing I think about with this, um, obviously, obviously um, I think this author deserves a book deal and probably a very big one, and I get why a deal like this happened. One thing um, I always get a little worried about with publishing is how very narrowly reactive it can be. Like I worry that publishing looked at this short story blowing up in the way that it did, going viral, and everybody thinking – the, the thing that made this popular was this specific person, and she is this, um, you know, virtuoso writer, and the she's a completely unique thing unto herself, as opposed to, like, everybody, like, taking a breath for a second yeah. and saying, hey, this sort of story work, clearly reading behavior, like we talked about last week, like, this is the sort of thing that can change reading behavior or indicate that reading behavior has changed, right? And it's like... We've moved through that really fast if we're already handing out like a million dollars to this. And I just wonder um, – this deal obviously was a lock. This was going to happen the second that story went viral. Oh, and yeah, and definitely. Good, and good for her. She deserves it. But what about all the other ones that come that use this as a comp? You know, what about – because others will. This is a kind of one of those splashy book deals that can, then gets used as a template for other things. And I hope that the rationale there is – has I don't know has some more considered thought to it, and sometimes publishing doesn't necessarily do as good a job as it needs to in understanding why something went viral. Like I don't really have much faith in the book industry's ability to understand why something caught on on the internet. Maybe I think that's it'll the way be I put it. it'll be really interesting to see what marketing techniques are yeah. used to publicize this book, both pre and post launch. Like that is what I'm most interested in. Like I, of course yeah. I'm going to read the book. I you yeah. know I liked the story. I found it I found it very compelling. Um, but I wonder if they're going to like take chances with, I wonder if they're going to take chances with the, the marketing of this Mm -hmm. to kind of capture the spirit of that, um, that, that kind of viral phenomenon in the same way. Or I wonder if they're just going to like do the same thing and be like, see, she's going to be successful because of this thing that we don't understand. And then not use that as part of their, their, um, publication methodology that is going to be interesting um the the marketing specific i think you make a good point there because they are the whole meeting all the publicists all the marketers they're going to be sitting around trying to figure out how to recreate that virality right did we ever come up with a noun for viral like like virus i guess (laughs) it doesn't feel quite right but anyway um they're going to be really retrying to create that uh that phenomenon yeah and I don't know, like off the top of my head, it feels like maybe, you know, you're trying to use, you know, more of her stories. Hopefully ones that aren't in this book, you know, yeah, I don't know. Excerpts, like, yeah, um, just like anything that can get people talking about a piece of writing again in a flash like that. But, you know, that's the thing with this is like it um, it was such a quick spark, right? Like the yeah. Internet isn't really talking about cat person anymore. Yeah. You know, like it came and went like any excellent thing that happens on Twitter these days. Um and so I'm just I am I'm with you. I'm very interested to see how they try to handle this, how they try to remind everyone, hey, this is the person who did that thing, you know, like because we're gonna be like, you know, I mean, by the between then and now it's gonna feel like eighty years have passed yeah. at this point. Do you know and, what I would do if I was marketing this book? <clears throat> yeah. 
I would completely ignore general like book publication channels. I mean, maybe except for like the New York Times or something, which yeah. is already going to do it anyway because they've already done something. The on New her. York, the New Yorker will get her, and the yeah. yeah, of course. But like, kind of ignore the rest of it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And instead of marketing to book people, I think that they should market to, um, like, honestly, I think, I I think they should market to feminists. Yeah. And I think that they should go in those digital spaces, Mm -hmm. like, you know, kind of in, in the new spaces, the ones that have kind of been the place where people are going to for, you know, the, the huge number of sex sexual Mm -hmm. assault you know Mm -hmm. um allegations and kind of go to those outlets where that is something that they talk about you know where they talk about culture where they talk about um where they talk about patriarchy where they talk about sure um power structures and i think i would market to them yeah i mean i think it does present a kind of a unique chance especially if you know it kind of depends on what all the rest of the stories are about too right like I mean, it sounds like it's of a similar theme as cat person. And so I think I think there's probably an opportunity, like you're saying, to get outside of like the what the lit hub, electric lit yeah. rumpus kind of battery of book. Because they're going to pick up know? on it anyway. Yeah, exactly. So like you it's almost like you could make it. Yeah. No, I think I, I'm just parroting your point. I mean, I think it's a good one. Um, kind of get outside that a little and see where we end up but it'll be interesting to see where it goes i mean it'll be it'll be something that we're tracking for sure yeah definitely so we introduced a segment last week that i think went over pretty well that i enjoyed um and you had a great idea for it the the harebrained scheme of the week folks Mm -hmm. in which we um, I don't know, come up with some crazy idea that no one seems to be implementing or not nearly enough. In um, publishing, in the book, specifically. In, 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a toaster, except, um, no, um, in books. But ask me about my toaster idea later, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, but <laughs> the so we've got one for this week, too. And it comes off the heels of this news and I'm reading from a uh, Publishers Weekly article from a few days ago. Um, Skyhorse union is that unionizing effort ends in a no um, is basically the news. Skyhorse had tried to get the votes together uh, to join UAW. Um, it had fallen flat after some pretty contentious back and forth with management. Um, they didn't get the votes they needed. The number of people allowed in the voting block was you know, reduced after a um, court intervention. Um, all sorts of things. It got kind of nasty. Um, and at the very end, they eventually voted, and uh, there will be no union at Skyhorse. And so my harebrained scheme of the week on the on the news of this is that actually, folks, unions are really good, and you should <laughs> <laughs> and you should want one. And the um, if you're a publisher dealing with any of the many issues, and actually, let's. List these out for a second. Yep, the ones all that the, Skyhorse was fighting for. Well, all the ones that Skyhorse was fighting for, and we obviously we don't know all the various intricacies and details of this, but let's just talk more broadly for a second about what what ails publishing. Yep. Right? <clears throat> like we've got, I don't know, lack of diversity. We've got there's not enough pay. There's no overtime pay. There's very few benefits. Um, 
It's the power structures are almost entirely based on, you know, getting lucky and being the assistant to someone powerful. Like promotions aren't, aren't necessarily. Yep. It's a female led um, um, industry, but most of the people in uh, power, power making decisions are are men. Right. Um, all these things um, that we talk about, you know, whether it's pay, whether it's getting that cost of living increase, whether it's doing these things, every single one of those could be categorized as a labor issue. Right. And oftentimes I think we don't necessarily talk about them that way. And I think I think that we need to. And without getting like into, you know, the various bits and pieces and there are tons and tons of resources on learning about that that are much better suited for that than us. But like I think there's a fundamental shift that needs to happen. And it's that, you know, book people need to come to terms with the fact that all the problems we talk about and the things that we're constantly railing against, and you hear people online talking about all these issues of, like we just said, representation and pay and the industry being focused in a city that no one can afford to live in, all of it. Um, You know, not everyone in publishing is interested in fixing those things. And that's a very fundamental truth that I don't think is often grappled with. Like, everyone and their brother can get up and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. We wanna, we want more, you know, people of color in publishing. We want women in more positions of power in publishing. But the truth is that not everybody in publishing wants that, and that's something that no one ever talks about. And the, the people who don't want it, it just so happen, and I'm sure this is totally a coincidence, but the people who um, don't want those things are the ones with the power. Are your bosses? Yep. Actually, and- <laughs> when when the vote came in, yeah. Um, Tony Lyons, who is the uh, president and publisher yeah. of Skyhorse, yeah. said, and this is a direct quote, yeah. uh, Skyhorse Publishing is pleased that our employees have decided against being represented by a union. Mm-hmm. Of course they are. Yeah. Of no, course they're pleased. Every, every boss thinks unions are really, really great, especially in publishing, which is filled with all sorts of quote unquote progressive people, all these liberals. They all really, really love unions, except Unfortunately, for the one specific one, you, you're the employee is trying to lobby for. Somehow, just I don't know how it worked out, but somehow that's the one they're against. They just don't think it's right for you. But in every other instance, yeah, no, totally. Bosses are always pro, totally pro union. They really think you should get what's yours, except for in these. And I'm just looking, like, for instance, at the bottom of this article, one of the concessions that came out of these negotiations was that Skyhorse was able to hire an HR coordinator. <laughs> and I just look at that and I'm like, if. The thing you're fighting for is even just the presence of an HR department in a real way and, like, refurbishing the facilities and things like – just, like, basic stuff. All the more reason, like, why you need one and hopefully they can revote. Um, and it sounds like they can. But, like, I guess I just – I keep thinking about these things and I think that publishing needs to kind of roll up its sleeves and think about these things, at least people of our generation, right? Yeah. And understand that the problems are not – these cosmic things that are outside of us, right? They, the problems are people in this industry. It's your, it's your bosses. You know? yeah. It's the people who run these things who are, would very much like to keep things the way they are. And um, to, a great way to push against that is to be an organized labor force. To speak um, about publishing yeah. specifically, yeah. Um, I'd like to point out that there are a couple of publishers who have who are yeah. members of unions. Yeah. So um, Pearson, the, the educational publisher, um, HarperCollins yeah. has had a union for 60 years. Mm-hmm. But so here's here's the problem, though, when only one or two or three companies have unions versus like 
the entire industry um, is that there are a lot of things that are agreed in in the union contract for HarperCollins, but a lot of those things are not um, enforced. So, for example, um, you will not find somebody at HarperCollins putting in for overtime pay because there still is this culture in publishing that you just like – you do it all. You do it all the time. You work all the time. So even though there is protections for this particular industry, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, it's it's kind of in the way of it. So it's not just individual companies that need to do this. You know, if you think, you think about, um, you know, it's really, really hard to convince, you know, 40 people at Skyhorse to join a union when they're paying in 2% of their salary when in a, in a city that they can't even afford to live in. So I think it's kind of a bigger issue. I think it's, you know, my kind of taking your harebrained scheme and going a little bit farther is unionizing, you know, across positions, you know, across, across different companies, not just, um, an individual workplace right. because there is always going to be that idea where it's like, well, yes, the union has this, but if you, you know, worked 15 extra hours this week, which is the equivalent, you know, for, for an entry level person, if you worked, you know, 50 hours instead of 35, that's an extra like $300 a week. Mm-hmm. That's a ton of money. And there's a, there is this idea that, you know, if you are going to put in this money, they can just fire you and they can bring someone over from where the conditions are even worse. Right. And that person is not going to, you know, is not going to push. Well, you're seeing this, um, you're seeing this happen in a lot of other media companies, right? Like um, right now, Vox is fighting for a union. Um, you've got Vice just unionized, um, Gothamist unionized, and then was immediately shut down by the billionaire who runs it. Um, and DNA Info just unionized um, all these people. You know, it's a thing that became kind of a natural response to just how volatile and tenuous media jobs are. Yeah. And that's definitely something that publish book publishing is not free from, and it's definitely something that is connected to the the various issues the industry has. And so, I don't know. I think it also um, anytime you talk to anyone in publishing especially in New York City, there's often this sense of of isolation, right? Like people, it's like, it's the same, it's the idea that cultivates that reason why no one ever puts in for overtime, right? Like there's no sense of like collective strength. You mm-hmm. know, it's, I can't put in for my own pay because the person next to me isn't. And if I do, then I'll, you know, end up, you know, someone will get mad at me or I'll get looked at. Like, you know, there's just, I don't know. Like I feel like organized labor in whatever form it's something in any in some capacity that could really kind of push against a lot of the things, and I think that that at the very least is something worth exploring and talking about because um, otherwise things aren't going to get fixed. I think that we need to um, pull the wool off our eyes and realize that um, things are the way they are for a reason, not just by an accident. And if you're going to undo that, you have to take some sort of action. So, do you think that? Um part of the cultural push against kind of labor organization is also fed by the idea that there are huge parts of this industry that this industry cannot run without that work entirely on commission, AKA our jobs. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, so much of publishing is run on unpaid labor, right? Yeah. The no one, no every companies have wisened up to it now. They know it's inappropriate, but they all sorts of places have underpaid or unpaid internships. All sorts of places have um, people working overtime, and it's expected to do so. Like an editorial assistant reads a manuscript a night, doesn't get paid for any of that, you know. And and like or like you know all the things you know like working a commission job, all the stuff that you do that doesn't directly lead to sales commission, right? Like there's all sorts of unpaid labor happening in publishing. And um, yeah, no, I mean, I think that, um, you know, things would look a lot different if labor stuck up for itself. I wonder, I wonder so, how our job would change yeah. if New York City, like in the big five, yeah. all unionized. Yeah, I don't know. I wonder I'm, if that would trickle down to us. It's tough to say how any of that would play out. But I just think like, um, I don't know. I don't know what I think. I think that it's important that we at least have these conversations because otherwise all the stuff, is, the yearly hand-wringing is never going to stop. Yeah, We're going to pick up again and say, oh, man, there's no, um, you know, there's not enough, you know, black and brown people in publishing. There's not enough women in positions of power. And it's we're going to be having the same conversations we were having in 1990. And nothing is going to get any different because the levers of power haven't shifted at all. And... I don't know. So on the heels of that, the harebrained scheme of the week is this brand new thing, folks. It's called the union. <laughs> um, we invented it right here on the show. Um, but yeah, no, I think that I think that's our that's our bit for the week. Wonderful. Well, speaking of kind of the yearly hand wringing, mm-hmm. uh, it I'm is ready. our last show of 2017. Mm-hmm. This hellscape of a year. Um, so I figured Whew. this would be a good time to. Kind of go over some observations about mm-hmm. books and publishing in 2017, and then you know give a few predictions for sure. 2018 um, that we can do this again with next year. Mm-hmm. So observations. Mm-hmm. Would you like me to start, or do you want to what do ha- first? what happened in 2017, Eric? <laughs> Tell me about 2017. Well, so let's start with the one that's most that's most relevant to what we were just talking about. Okay. Right. I think that there. Are things happening organizationally on the you know lower level employee side that I find to be really interesting and worthwhile? I'm thinking obviously of this unionization from Skyhorse, and hopefully they try again. In my opinion, um, no one yell at me online about unions. By the way, I'm not interested in your takes. Um, but it, unless their unions are good <laughs> and we should have them, in which case, yes, you can say that. Um, but. Um, you know, there's there's some things cropped up. You know, like the group POC in publishing um, became a thing. You know, there are some a few other um, you know smaller organizations that are just designed around getting people who haven't necessarily had the voice in the industry, you know, collective and together and talking about their jobs and supporting one another. And I look at that and I think this is this is exactly the right sort of thing. Yep. This is the sort of um, collective action in any capacity that has felt missing for a very long time. And now might um, it might help. And so I guess 2017 was a bad year in many, 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 many ways. Um, but this felt like a good one that I do think that we are of a generation that is a bit more inclined to actually deal with that sort of problem in a kind of a collective way. Um, and that was heartening to see. So we'll start with my positive one as an observation <laughs> of the year. And we will. It's it's more than just like POC and publishing, though. Like there yeah. are entire um, like 
there are, you know, organizations that have that give you help with beta, like that help you find a beta reader, yeah. you know, a sensitivity reader. Mm-hmm. There, there are, you know, all sorts of, you know, there's there's a new database for um literary agents of color. You know, like sure. all of all of these things. It's not just um you, you know, it's not just community, but it's also visibility, yeah. which I feel like is one of the first steps. So yeah. I'm very heartened by that. Yeah, me too. I mean, I just think that um, I'm just tired of having these conversations. And I think everybody is. You yeah. know, I think we're all – it's just kind of this yearly thing where we where we talk about it and deal with it. And my point is that like – Let's just do it. Let's – there have to be concrete steps and people are taking them. And I think that those deserve to be pointed out and lauded and supported and joined at every possible turn. So. Yeah. What else you got? You give me one. Ooh, okay. Um, so one thing that I am actually considering kind of a really exciting development this year um, is I feel like 2017 has been a really banner year for having favorite pieces of media, but also acknowledging that either the pieces of media themselves or their creators are problematic in whatever way that is. Um, if you've, if you've seen that online, it's, you know, your fave is problematic or problematic fave. Um, but I actually, I, I find that there, there's a flip side to that, which I find really exciting, which is, is that for, for a very long time, most of the very nuanced and um, kind of robust literary criticism that's been going on has been happening around a certain type of book, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of a, a very like highbrow, you know, white male written literary fiction. I feel like with, you know, the problematic faves, um, you know, everyday people and people who don't necessarily read those types of books, but like they're they're jumping in yeah. and they're, you know, thinking deliberately and kind of having not always constructive, but they're having, you know, well thought out discussions <laughs> about um, books themselves and things that they did well and things that they can do better and kind of how they fit in the canon and how readers are going to react to them. And I find that that is, you know, a very exciting new step towards, you know, kind of literary criticism as, as a, you know, it's a big part of how people are reading now, which I think has not always been the case. It's the sort of step that um, sort of does away with old notions of prestige. Yeah. You know, and like when you start to break down those sorts of things, suddenly the door opens and space is cleared for the much deserving people who haven't necessarily gotten the attention that um, they, you know, that they deserved and warranted for their work in years past. You know, and so it's almost like um, you know, <laughs> realizing that everyone is problematic. <laughs> it suddenly like puts a dent in this kind of like. The myth of the you know great American novelist you yeah. know and or like who, and whoever it is it's not necessarily even novelists that you're talking about right like it's the idea that all of our big giant larger than life you know art heroes aren't necess- are worthy of more interpersonal scrutiny than maybe we originally thought and so when that's true we can start to look for other better heroes you know <laughs> and 
Um, I think that'll be a positive development. I agree. I'm, you know, on a personal level, I'm also finding it really exciting because like as a publishing professional, I always feel like I need to be really careful about when I say that I hate a book. Yeah. Um, And I feel like I can engage in those conversations now because it's actually like literary criticism. It's not just like, (laughs) I didn't like this because I didn't like it. But like if I can talk about reasons I didn't like it yeah um i don't have to feel bad that you know one of my friends who actually like sold it or something is gonna get mad at me they'll be like oh yeah that's that's a good you know that's a good piece of criticism and that's happened to me this year where it had never happened to me before the wind so i let me make sure i understand what you're saying the window for more nuanced and even sometimes constructively negative discussion around projects has opened up yeah. And you're saying that that is, I would agree on its face that that's a pretty good thing. Yeah. Um, remember, when was it? We talked once about how every time anyone ever talks about a book, it's positive and how that kind of hurts the industry, didn't we? Yeah. Have when that, people talk about when. it online. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that has changed. Yeah. No, I do too. <laughs> um, especially here. I feel like we've had a lot of like our most like boisterous and gleeful discussions on this show have, been just, like, like. have been just like tearing things apart. Yeah. So that's good and healthy and positive that we've yeah. decided to. <laughs> I think relatedly, yeah. um, and this this comes to another observation of 2017. Mm-hmm. I think it's really safe to say that reading has gotten harder. Yeah, I was thinking a lot about this one. So, what do you mean by that? So, I, there's there's a couple of ways that I mean this. Um, I think just that. I, okay, so 2017 has been really hard for a lot of people. And a big part of that is the news cycle and just like the daily horror that somebody who cares about other individuals kind of has to has to deal with yeah. um, to stay informed, right? Um, and so it has in some ways, you know, like there are a bunch of different factors. There's one, the 24-hour news cycle and the fact that people skim and, and read and kind of are, are ways of – Consuming information are fundamentally changing. Add to that the general malaise and depression that people have been in. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just difficult to consume anything long form. Or, or it's, and it's also difficult, I think, um, to engage in any form of, in escapism yeah. that a lot of like fiction will do for you. Um, and so I, I want to acknowledge that. Yeah. And I and I kind of want to celebrate it, you know. I, I think celebrate what? Celebrate the fact that reading is harder. So even if you didn't make your reading goal, sure. or sure. you know, shouldn't you, beat yourself up. Exactly, because I feel like we're we're climbing a bigger hill when it comes to this. And like, even if you read like one fun book this year, it was like. That's still time that you weren't like obsessing over Donald Trump's Twitter account. You know what I mean? I definitely felt like my reading habits. The word I want to say is warped, <laughs> but like I think it's probably just more accurate to say they changed. Um, I found myself this year um, reading a ton more, what just like pieces, right? Like articles or yeah. essays or things. And this is this gets back to that conversation again that we had last week about Cat Person. Like it was like the perfect story for like article culture, you know, like, and I don't know, like I, you know, some, I'll go, I'll go like two weeks or so and I'll be like, Hey, how come you haven't read a published book? Why aren't, why aren't you ever doing any reading? (laughs) And 
Well, it's a completely ridiculous thing to think, first of all, because my job all day, every day is to read books. Like I sit at, but that's not the kind of reading we're talking about, you know, but like for pleasure or like books outside of just manuscripts and stuff, I've definitely read less books this year, but I'm not sure I've actually read any less. No, I think you probably that read more. No, I think that there's just a certain thing that's happening to all of our attention spans as we are suddenly forced to care about. Remember when, like, checking the news didn't used to be, like, as active or insane of a thing? Or you know, when you like wake you, up and you're just dreading yeah, you just, and you need <laughs> to know what happened? Like, you just – like, so much of our – I feel like our – we have to all be, like, much more conscious and active with our media diets yeah. right now because of the way things are. And that has certainly changed. Like, you know, I'm, like, one of those people that always has, like, 15 tabs open to all the various articles that I can never read until, like, the very end of the week because I just can't find the bandwidth for it, you know, until then. But um, I don't know. Like, that culture, that that behavior, that practice definitely will change, you know, the way we read. And it's definitely made it harder. And it's definitely, I think, like, you say that it's made it harder to want to escape. I guess for me, I've almost made it more of an effort like I when I read like a novel for pleasure or something I go like the whole nine yards you go I'm, hard. Like, I'm like turning off my phone I'm like going away from the like I really like put myself in you know whatever version of an isolation chamber I'm capable of you know to just you know, in like, 2016 you would live text me when you were reading a novel because <laughs> yeah. you were like I love this novel so much I just clean my yeah. fridge in anger well, I, I and simply, I haven't gotten one of those from you this I year. simply can't do it if I because yeah. if I pick up my phone yeah. Then I'm gonna. Forty minutes will have passed, and I'll have sent out like five tweets about nothing. <laughs> I'll have like forwarded a bunch. I'll have hate read a bunch of. I'll definitely have hate read a New York Times op-ed. I'll probably have you know retweeted some other article that I really. Yeah. I will have read a bunch during that time. It just won't have been the book that's sitting on my lap waiting to be read during my quote-unquote novel reading time. You know. Yeah. I've, I've switched to a lot of audiobooks. Yeah, that's a good move. Where it's like, so I've been doing audiobooks because when you're doing audiobooks, you can't watch the news and you can't read the news. You just like have to be there and like play reading. solitaire. Um, so it's just like, I just, you know, yeah, like yeah. read the book or like I'm driving somewhere and it's like, oh, good. Like this yeah. is this is time. So it's not that I. I don't know. I I want to escape just as much, I guess. Um, it's just I've it's changed how it's happened and it's it, it's harder to get to that place. I've actually read more books in, this year than I've read in recent memory. Yeah. Um, so I actually kept track of all of the books that I read this year. I didn't have a goal or anything, but I just, you know, at the start of the year, I, you know, noticed that I was getting through a lot of audiobooks. And so, um, hell yeah, library card. Um, and so I, I was curious. So all of this year I've kept track of all of the finished books that I've read. Um, and it's How actually helped. What percentage of those books were audiobooks? Um, I would probably say, okay, so I will end this year at 75 finished books. Uh -huh. I will say that maybe eight or nine of them were print. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. See, this is going to reopen our whole big fight about what <laughs> reading actually is. And um, this is like everyone's least favorite thing that I harp on. But that's that's really interesting. I yeah. mean, it's um, – yeah, well, I guess I'll be interested in hearing what everyone thinks later after they're done reading this podcast. Um, <laughs> 
But so, so, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but another one of mine that I've got, and this kind of, I think, is an extension of that, especially as someone who works with a lot of nonfiction and nonfiction writers. Um, I've found in 2017 that being someone's agent, you know, doing the job that we do is a much like broader job than originally thought. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean like as writers' chief concern expands or moves away from the book, it means that my job as one of their advocates has to as well, right? Like suddenly I'm finding myself helping my authors in, uh, with essays and articles and pitches and trying to find you know editors at different magazines and things like that. And it's really interesting work, but it, it's often not – it's not like book work, you know, like it's something different. It's something um, that kind of extends to the writing life as a whole as opposed to just being the guy who deals with the books, which is I think how it used to be. Like I, you know, I'm, I work with a ton of authors who are, you know, right now developing proposals and doing things like that. And it's almost like so much of my day-to-day operations has almost nothing to do with their books, you know, which yeah. is – it's now um, career management. Which is, yeah, yeah, exactly, which was not something I was expecting. But I've got to say I, f- I found it really engaging and interesting because that's what, that's what writing is now. You know, like all the people that I'm interested in working with are doing a bunch of stuff that isn't book writing, you know, but somehow I'm still involved with. And I've had to at several points this year kind of sit back and think, um, man, this this job is different. You know, this is something that involves, you know, learning on the fly on certain things or um, taking a different approach and realizing that um, the book is sort of a natural outgrowth of all this other work. You know, it's, the, you know, so much of what I'm trying to do now involves trying to find trends or larger topics in, you know, clients writing that they're already publishing and saying, hey, Here's how we can kind of expand out for outward from that, you know. Like, but the point is, um, as reading changes, as writing becomes more and more geared toward short form, um, I think our jobs are going to change too. At least if you're dealing with, I mean, fiction is is one thing, but um, I don't know. I've I've kind of found it, you know, the job to have morphed a little bit, and I've been pretty interested in it. And it's, um, I don't know, it's certainly been kind of an engaging task so far, but. Um, do we have, do we have any more observations? I've got one more. Hit it. Do you have one? No, I don't have any more. Okay. So the last one. I'm out of observations. Okay. Good thing print round's <laughs> going to be over for the year. Yeah. Um, so my last observation here before we get into a few quick predictions, um, we talked at the beginning of this year about whether or not publishing was, was up to the task of kind of dealing with the moment, dealing with the extremity of the time being one of those forces that could theoretically, you know, push back against or normalize um, sort of this new thing that was suddenly, you know, beating down our gates, right, you know, from a political perspective. And I guess I have sort of feel like publishing didn't quite handle the task as well as didn't I would have liked. Didn't quite get there. You know, and that isn't <laughs> to say that there weren't some serious successes. There, Obviously, this has nothing to do with the many, many authors who wrote many, many great books this year. Um, that sort of took clear-eyed views at the moment, whether it was fiction or nonfiction, but just as larger publishing programs, I guess, you know, actually, this is this is what did it for me. It was the other day. There was a tweet. Um, some, I forget who it was, some publisher is publishing um, 
Roger Stone's next book, right? And um, it's part of like a multi-book deal. And this book, and Roger Stone is someone who has written a very breathy Trump biography. He was very much involved with the campaign. You know, he's he's one of those kind of big right-wing figures, right? And he's got this new book that he's writing just in case. Um, and it's like all about how the Russia investigation brought him down. And he's like got it written just in case it happens so that he can like be totally well timed with it. I think there's also a line yeah. in there about like, man, I really hope that this book yeah. like won't yeah. have to get out there. Right, and yeah, it's just, like, yes, you just do. Some, just some bullshit like that. But like nobody would write this. Uh, nobody would write a book <laughs> unless they don't want it to get out there. Yeah. No. And I guess I just looked at it and I just think, you know, in one tweet, I'm getting told to be excited about, you know, the new Roger Stone memoir. And in the next tweet, I'm being sold some hashtag resistance manual. And it's just like none of this <laughs> – there's no stance being taken on any of this by any major publisher. You know, it's simply who's famous enough that we can sell copies to. And we saw it. You know, we saw the Milo thing. We saw, you know, all these various things that, you know, whether it got pushed against or not. But, like, I'm not sure the – metrics for who's getting book deals and who isn't has changed at all you know and that troubles me a little bit and and i and i guess like to me you know it's it's not good enough because i believe enough in publishing and i believe in this as an ideas industry enough to think hey we could step up a little bit more and just say you know what this these people you know these grifters you know and these just ghouls on whatever side we're not going to just let them use our platforms to um, <laughs> just capitalize on, you know, the fear of the moment. You know, like I just think that we can um, – I think we can do a little bit better than that. There's, in, a, there's a quote from um, Errol McDonald yeah. who was the executive editor at Pantheon in the early 90s. Um, and there was a quote that he gave in 1994. Um where he said, and this this directly kind of like supports a general thesis of Print Run, the podcast, yeah. um, which is this. The business of publishing is not to reflect some vision of American democracy. It's to clock dollars. Yeah. And I feel like the, you know, the prediction at the beginning of the year that we talked about and kind of their their failure in this moment, like this is really the watershed moment to prove that that statement right or wrong. Yeah. Right now, that statement is right. Yeah. No, I mean, I think um, that it might change. <laughs> I think that it is. I mean, I, especially like, I don't know what there was a dumb picture the other day of like James Patterson in a hat. I think it said um, it was like an imitation Trump hat that said, I think, make America read again or oh, something. Boy. And it's just it's like these imitation hats, you know, these merch opportunities that we're using off this moment. It's just like. Come on, man. Like, we can just all do a little bit better with this stuff. And we can all just say, you know what? We're not going to give the book deal to that person. You know, we're not going to find a branding opportunity off a hat that so many people associate with hate. You know, like, we can just do – I mean, I re I'm listening now to or hearing our episode on the whole right now and realizing I'm doing a lot of, like – screeching about various things but that's where we're at at the end of 2017 i guess and let's head into predictions yeah yeah let's let's just let's keep moving so i, guess. I 
I am actually very optimistic about this next year. Why is that? Um, so am I, but I'm interested <laughs> in why you are. I, I feel like this is a turning point for a lot of things. Um, you know, like Simon & Schuster, for example, had a banner year in 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, and a big part of the reason that they're pointing to is the launch of Salam Reads, which is their Muslim-centered children's book imprint. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like 2017 was, you know, beyond all of that harping that we just did, like it was a year for like a select few people to take risks that kind of give us little glimmers of hope that publishing is not just about those dollars. Yeah. Um, like the editor at Pantheon said in 1994. Um, and so I, I am hoping that now that we have a year's worth of, you know, financial metrics, uh-huh. I'm really, really hoping that in this next year, we are going to see more imprints like Salam reads, you know, um, imprints that are championing, uh, diversity of voice and of thought, not just in terms of like, hey, let's see, hear both sides, but more of just like, um, let's hear both sides from upper class white people. <laughs> it's more than yeah. that. It's a lot more than that. It's more of, you know, like, yeah. oh, there are stories that haven't been told. Mm-hmm. Let's hear them. Yeah. Um, so that's that's kind of where I I think that we're going. A little so. bit. I mean, the only, I mean, not to be cynical, but it feels like the only way progress can be made on those fronts is like you're saying with like financial metrics on yeah. the paper. Like someone has to believe these things are profitable for anyone to give a shit. And oh, yeah. I think we're learning that um, people do think that it is. And so maybe we will see. Yeah. Um, to be clear, this metric is not just like me, like crossing my fingers and yeah. hoping. Like yeah. this is purely backed on like me reading the financial report from Simon and Schuster. Yeah, no, it's demonstrable now. Yeah, which exactly. Is, which is great. And I, th- I agree that I think it's a, it's a hopefully a sign of things to come. My first prediction for 2018, and this is, a, I guess, less big scale, but um, after, you know, looking at some of the books and the things that really did well this year. I'm going to say that brevity is in now. Ooh. I'm going to say that you're going to see some very high profile short story collections this year. You're going to see um, this will not be the, um, the cat person will not be the only short story that goes viral in this next year. Like you will see more of that. Um, might not be as strong, but you're going to see another short piece of short fiction do that. You're also going to see, I think, um, a major collection of flash fiction get published, which mm. I don't think we've really seen yet. And and when that happens, people are going to have a really annoying debate over whether or not it's flash fiction or poetry. Pre- prepare yourself for that. It's going to be Why terrible. Why don't you represent this book? I don't know. You should go after this book. I'm so tired, Laura. I um. have I have a similar <laughs> prediction. Yeah. So my prediction has to do with um, short storytelling. And I foresee a really exciting growth in non-traditional digital storytelling hmm. in short form. So one um, publishing company that I learned about in the last month or two is Serial Box Publishing, um, which is a creator of um, multiple, I guess, I guess, serial serials you know um but they kind of stand alone and they and they go all together but yeah they're they're not written by one author 
What they are is they are written by a team of three authors, kind of like how um, different, like a writer's room will write a season of television. Mm-hmm. And so they plan it. They plan the story all together. These three authors do. And then they each write a few episodes and they kind of tie in together, but they're a little bit different. And like things like that, I find really, really interesting. So I, I feel like, you know, we very often bemoan the fact that technology has really only changed publishing from the um, from the distribution side, yeah. from the retail side. Yeah. Um, and I think that short fiction is is how we're going to begin innovating um, storytelling formats and taking advantage of the technology that exists. Also, our short attention spans as we live digitally. Yeah, especially now that I'm basically a goldfish, it's going to be really <laughs> important that your content is exciting from a technological standpoint. I'm going to need that. <laughs> um, so my next one, I think we're going to see, um, this might not happen this year, but it will happen soon. You're going to see a very mainstream, traditional, literary fiction Amazon publishing house. You're going to see Amazon. Or do, I guess them doing it well. Yeah. It well, already you know, exists. Exactly. I know they've got, but like you're going to see Amazon get into, um, you're going to see them hire editors you've heard of. You're going to see them um, start to work with agents. You're, you're going to start sub, subbing books to Amazon. You're going to start, I say you as in all agents, not just you, Laura Zatz. Um, you're, you know, Amazon is going to start entering um, auctions with um for big giant names that they've heard of and if they decide that it comes down to money they will probably win um but like i would not be surprised if we saw like and you know a major like literary prize winner bestseller sort of like one of those like um blue ribbon novels get published by a whatever you know mainstream literary publishing house amazon decides to one day create that's so coming. you're so you're predicting that they're that Amazon publishing is going to stop like half-assing right. their job yes. and are going to yes. like actually do it. Yes. Um I think that Well, they've got a uh, bestseller list, so why not? Yeah. No, I mean they it's all I think it's all integration. Um you'll but I don't see any reason why they wouldn't, especially because so many of their, you know, decisions um seem based around, you know, well we're willing to take a loss here either for um, you know, for market share or for, re, you know, relationships, you know, whatever it is. Um, and the one thing that they don't really have is publishing prestige. That's right? a good point. Like yeah. they don't have like the reason that um, traditional publishing, one of the perceived reasons people like traditional publishers is because there's a certain amount of, um, you know, prestige or like, you know, accreditation attached to it. And I bet that Amazon certainly has the money to manufacture that for themselves. And, um, they'll start by doing it by hiring high-profile, like I said, high-profile editors you've heard of who will be made offers that no publishing person in their right mind could refuse. <laughs> and, like, they've got the chance to totally upend the pay scale, you know what I mean? Like, they could. Yeah. Um, but my point is that I bet they'll at least try to dip a toe into it, and I would be interested to see what happens when they do. That feeds in a little bit to my prediction, and it's already happening a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but that 2018 will bring a further decentering of New York City as the only literary hub. Yeah. Um, you know, already you've got successful publishers popping up all over the place. Um, well, there's a book festival in our honor now. Here yeah, I know. <laughs> Please invite yeah. us to the book festival. We'd really like to come. <laughs> but it's happening. 
happening, yeah. but it's happening. Yeah. Um, one thing that I feel like we should also mention yeah. is, you know, we've spent a lot of this episode talking about how there are these these steps being made um, to to better the books that are being published or to support the people working in publishing. Um, and there is there is kind of a community now that there wasn't necessarily before. Mm-hmm. And I think a big part of that, um, you know, for all of this to get better, there has to be something that needs to happen. And it's something that already started this year. Um, but I feel like it's going to hit publishing really hard next year. And that is kind of the public reckoning of sexual harassment and sexual assault in publishing. Yeah, um, it's coming. It's coming. You know, like it's happening with celebrities now and, and you know, big, um, you know, film and TV media people. Um, it's hitting journalism right now. It's only a matter of time before it hits publishing. It's a media and arts industry where the balance of power is entirely skewed. Yep. It's absolutely coming. <laughs> like, yeah. It's it's coming. And I think for all of everything else that we talked about to, to improve, this is a necessary part of the process. So, um, man, we're going to be reporting on that a lot next year, I'm guessing. It's already yeah. happened with yeah, one of wait. the uh, creative directors mm-hmm. at um, – Penguin, um, Penguin Random House, and you know, I I know of of stories, you know, from yeah. the science fiction fantasy area, um, because cons have always been a hotbed for for fun sexual harassment. Um, but I'm gonna, not gonna say I look forward to it, but I look forward to uh, all of the space that this <laughs> is going to clear for the people yeah. who are deserving yeah. of it coming up yeah. next year. Yeah. Well, sounds good, huh? Yeah. So those are our predictions. Many are good. I would say that many were good. I mean, I think we're going to do, you know, when we come back, obviously, because as the expert content providers that we are, we'll definitely do like a um, New Year's resolution show. Yeah. Just to like keep the lists coming. Um, cause that, <laughs> we apparently love lists. It's just good ways to just churn out the content um, like it's meat through a grater. <laughs> Um, so we'll you'll, we'll definitely get more of our 2018 thoughts uh, coming up. But no, I'm I'm hopeful for yeah. the new year. I well, think we need the rest, and then we will get back to it. Absolutely. Well, I think um, we should put a little cap yeah. on 2017's uh, print run episodes mm-hmm. with our little pub tip. Yeah. And this pub tip um, is something that's also very near and dear to my heart. Uh-huh. And that is, you know, we've got 31 days of writing tips in December. Yeah, come on. I've been making memes. Come hang yeah. out. You can either go, um, you know, find Print Run Podcast at Print Run Podcast on Twitter, or you can just go to December.org, yeah. which, yes, we are an organization. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so go to December.org and check out our hot writing tips and humorous memes. Um <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Man, this is as earnestly as anyone has ever talked about a meme, and I appreciate that out of you, Laura. You this know is what? Good. I you've yeah. worked very hard on them. <laughs> you've worked very hard, uh, so definitely check it out. There's a lot of high level advice. There's a lot of really specific advice. Um, so let us know what your favorite is and participate in December. You don't actually have to do it in December. You can do it in February. You can do it in April. doesn't matter. December is a state of mind. It really is. Um, and furthering the state of mind idea, I've got another right tip for you. And that's just be nice to yourself this year. This was a hard year yeah. for a lot of us. Yeah, it was. For many people. 
just be nice to yourself as a writer, as a person. Love yourself, folks. It's important. Yeah. Did your book doula tell you that? Oh, Lily? Yeah. 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 Lily does tell me that a lot. It's important. Thank you, Lily. Shout out to Lily <laughs> for being the best book doula that I could ever hope for this oh, year. That's nice. Yeah. That that's you know what? We're just gonna end it on that because yeah. that is a lovely yeah. sentiment. Yeah. Be kind to yourself. Happy New Year's, everyone. Let your let your book doula love you, and we will see you on the flip side. Mm-hmm. Thank you.